1: fusion is going to change everything we know about energy, right? Well, not so fast. And I mean that literally, it's not going to happen fast. Today, we talk about the new fusion breakthrough and why it could be a pretty big deal in the energy industry in the very distant future. Hello, and welcome back once again to Parse Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So strap on your thinking caps, everyone. This is going to be a pretty science-heavy episode. Today, we're talking about the future of energy in light of a major scientific breakthrough. Scientists at the Department of Energy's Lawrence Livermore Laboratory in California announced this week that they created a net energy positive fusion reaction. Or, in other words, a fusion reaction that produced more energy than it took to create. After the announcement, you might have heard some folks saying that this could mean a future without energy scarcity and without carbon emissions. A pretty exciting prospect. But as you'll hear today, that future is actually pretty far off, a lot further than many policymakers and Joe Biden in particular would be willing to admit. We're going to be talking about nuclear fusion with Bloomberg News Energy reporter Will Wade. And of course, I started off by asking Will to give us a little science lesson and explain exactly how fusion really works.
0: Nuclear fusion, it's an idea that's been around since the 50s. You're probably familiar with nuclear fission. That's what we use in nuclear power plants. And what happens there is you have a large atom and it literally splits. And in that process, it releases a whole lot of energy. It's the same thing we saw in the first nuclear bombs back in the 1940s. So nuclear fusion is the process that happens inside stars. It's inside our sun. And what happens is you have small atoms. In this case, they've used uh, two isotopes of hydrogen and you smash them together and they fuse into something else. So the hydrogen becomes helium and in the process that also releases a lot of energy. So the concept has been around for decades. It's been one of those theoretical things that people have said, we think this will work. So what happened at Lawrence Livermore Labs was, they call it net energy gain. So they smashed atoms together And they used a whole bunch of lasers. In fact, they used some of the most powerful lasers on Earth. And it took them about two megajoules of energy to trigger this reaction. And when the fusion reaction happened, it released three megajoules of energy. So what that means is more energy came out than came in. And that's what they've been trying to achieve for decades.
1: That's one of the things that surprised me. And I think that I learned from your reporting and the other reporting on this is that fusion itself is not difficult or i mean of course it's very difficult but it's not something that that we just learn how to do fusion is is something that's been around for a while it's this concept of a, a fusion reaction that generates energy instead of takes up energy that's the really the big breakthrough
0: yeah actually the the thing with a fusion reaction is that it's hard to get it going it takes a lot of energy to trigger a fusion reaction a lot of times it uses a lot of heat in this case i think it was about 3 million degrees centigrade And that heat is what sort of helps the atoms fuse together.
1: Well, I will say I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, so three million doesn't sound that, uh, you know, doesn't sound that
0: bad to me. (laughs) Anyway. um... So, So the idea is that it takes energy to get the fusion reaction going, but if it is releasing more energy that means you can sustain the reaction. So if it takes two megajoules to get it going and you've got three megajoules coming out, that means you can use the two megajoules, in theory, to keep it going, and it gives you a surplus megajoule of energy which you can harvest and use for a commercial power plant. I mean, that's the basic theory. You're gonna need a lot more gain than that, but that's the key idea.
1: So let's talk about the benefits of fusion versus fission. Um, I think we all know the downsides of fission, which is radioactive waste, among other uh, potential downsides. But it sounds like the main issue is that you create a lot of radioactive materials that are going to be radioactive for thousands of years. Um, I get the sense with fusion, that's not necessarily the case. Do I have that right?
0: Yes, that's exactly right. So with nuclear fission, we what we use now is uranium, and the fuel rods, once they've been used up, they're probably some of the most dangerous things on earth they're deadly for thousands of years and our strategy right now is to seal them up in a big steel and concrete cask and it just sits there so fusion doesn't do this fusion runs on hydrogen hydrogen is really safe the byproduct in this case has been helium helium is is safe we don't have that leftover uranium that's super toxic now it's not correct to say there's no waste. There's also a lot of neutrons flying around, and neutrons will eventually leave some of the materials radioactive, but it's not nearly as dangerous as the toxic uh, waste from nuclear power plants.
1: Now, and we should also, I mean, we're, you know, fusion, sound, it sounds like, could be cleaner and safer than fission, but. I mean, it, you know, anything that involves millions of degrees of temperature can't be totally safe, right? I mean, there are some risks here to nuclear fusion, right?
0: Well, there's some risks, but it's not quite the same. Now, you've probably heard of meltdowns or something called the China syndrome. That's because once you have a nuclear fission reaction going, in a nuclear power plant, it's hard to control. That's why they have water to keep it cool, that's why they have uh, boron rods to sort of act as damping elements in the in the reactor core, that reaction is going and it's hard to control it. You could lose control of the reaction in a nuclear power plant. Now fusion, if you remember, takes a lot of energy to get it going. What that means is if you somehow lose control of the system, if something breaks down, that energy goes away, you lose control of the reaction, it shuts down. It shuts down in like a fraction of a second. It goes away. It's not a problem.
1: That's really interesting. So it's almost like a failsafe.
0: Pretty much. If, if, if something goes wrong with a fusion power plant, the first thing that happens is it shuts itself down.
1: Uh, okay, let's uh, blessedly move away from the science here and get to the public policy. Okay. Um, you know, so President Biden has said that he wants a working nuclear fusion reactor to be up and running in 10 years from now. Um, based on your reporting, I get the sense that's a very aspirational goal, uh, and that may be putting it kindly. Is that possible 10 years from now we'll see a reactor?
0: Well, I'll say that it's okay for him to want that. I don't know if it's going to be possible. It's it's an aspirational goal. We've heard different things. When they announced it, uh, Energy Secretary Granholm said, yeah, we could do this in a decade. And then they brought out the head of Lawrence Livermore Labs, who's the scientist and not the politician, and maybe knows a little bit more about it. And her reaction was mm, decades, maybe not five or six decades like we used to think, but decades. So it sounded like she was pouring a little cold water on that. I don't know if we can have it in a decade. But it's a nice target to shoot for because if we can actually have a fusion power plant, it's not overstating it to say that this would solve a lot of the world's problems. It's uh, abundance, clean energy that runs around the clock. It's, it's exactly what we need.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then finally, I wanted to talk about the research aspect of this. And when I say research, I mean research funding. You reported that you know this breakthrough is going to kind of trigger a big increase in research dollars toward nuclear fusion. However, when I read that, I was thinking, you know, is this a zero-sum game? Because there's a lot of potential energy projects that could yield you know interesting results. I'm specifically thinking of you know batteries that uh, could be used to make uh, wind and solar more reliable and less intermittent. Um, Is the the funding that's going to go toward nuclear fusion research, is it going to come from other areas of clean energy research?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know for sure, but my guess would be not so much. The people that are putting money into fusion are making long-term bets. And it's a bit of a risk. It's a bit of a gamble. We don't know if it's going to work or how long it's going to take. The people that are putting money into batteries, that's a much shorter play. We see huge demand for batteries now. We do see demand for the batteries that exist now. And we see, you know, plenty of interest in a new kind of battery. And there's a lot of research going into new battery technologies. And if you can come up with a better battery, it's not as complicated a project as a nuclear fusion power plant. And you pretty much have a guaranteed market.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I guess I'm thinking of... Renewable energy research is like a zero-sum game. Uh, and it sounds like that's just not the case. There's room in the in the sandbox for everyone.
0: I think people are just investing in energy, period, instead of just thinking, well, this is the money I've got to allocate for renewable energy. The global energy markets have been completely upended since the war started almost a year ago. And there is just unlimited interest in trying to find new ways to either get more of the energy we have or new kinds of energy.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that was uh, Will Wade talking about the future. Uh, thank you, Will, for joining us. Uh, let's hope we have more news here in the future. Okay. And that's it for today's Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check out our website, news.bloomberglaw.com. That website, once again, is news.bloomberglaw.com. Today's episode of Parts Per Billion was produced by myself, David Schultz. Parts Per Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle and is edited by Zach Sherwood and Renee Schof. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
0: Have you ever thought to yourself, how is that legal? Why is that legal? Have you ever seen a big trial in the news and wondered, what's really happening there? Have you ever pondered the question, why are lawyers the way that they are? And how much money do they really make anyway? These are the things we live and breathe over at On The Merits, Bloomberg Law's weekly legal news podcast. On the Merits looks into the biggest stories playing out in the legal industry right now. And we feature the finest journalists covering the biggest legal stories from across the Bloomberg Law Newsroom. You can hear it wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.